This is not in tune, but rather intros to opera. Uh, my name is Timothy Nelson. I'm artistic director of In Series, and we're making this daily podcast intro to opera to go along with the Metropolitan Opera's nightly broadcast. Each night, the Metropolitan Opera at 8 p.m. will release a uh, streaming version of one of the productions that they've presented in the past. Um, the past five or so seasons, maybe more, uh, and that's available for 24 hours, and you you have the whole evening and next day to watch it before at 8 p.m. the following day they switch to a new opera. They started this last week, um, and we started this week doing this podcast uh, intro listening guide, watching guide to the evening's productions. Uh, this week is all Wagner-focused. Wagner, not a composer that has been yet seen at the in series, and I think I can safely say won't be seen for some time, but I won't rule it out entirely. Um, uh, t last night was uh, Tristan and Isolde, perhaps the, the most famous, certainly the most influential Wagner opera, uh, my personal favorite. And tonight begins the ring cycle. So that means uh, tonight, it's Tuesday, the 24th of, of March. Uh, tonight will be uh, Das Rheingold. Tomorrow will be Die Valkyrie. Um, Thursday will be uh, Siegfried. And Friday will be Goethe Demerong. And then the fun continues with Wagner uh, Meistersinger on Saturday and Tannhauser on Sunday, and we'll be doing a listening guide to each of those, and we'll continue into the next week or as long as the Metropolitan Opera is streaming. I should note that there are lots of other opera companies, large and small, streaming all around the world. We will have a link in our Facebook uh, page to an article that lists all the companies that are currently streaming productions. In Europe, this is a lot of large companies, but I am heartened to say that in America and in North America, it's a lot of small companies, companies like On-Site Opera, which is a New York-based company doing site-specific work, Against the Grain, which is a wonderful Toronto-based organization, Pacific Opera Projects, uh, Beth Morrison, which is uh, contemporary new operas. So there's lots of chances in this time to stream performances you would not be able to see otherwise in performances of works and styles of production that are really, really important and uh, innovative and showing the new way in our industry. Um, I love that my fellow companies are, are finding a, 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 an opportunity for innovation um, and interrogation during this time. Uh, if you saw last night's uh, Tristan Isolde, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we watched it here at, at home, my husband uh, and I. Um, I can't say that I was particularly in love with the production, but it is, and it always is, and it always will be, a tremendous experience to watch it from beginning to end, and the sense of release in that uh, final moment is incredible. Nina Stemma was the soprano. I thought she was out of this world dramatically. Um, and vocally, it's a stunning instrument um, and a very thoughtful text-based uh, approach to the role. I also thought Stuart Skelton, who was the uh, tenor singing Tristan, perhaps the most difficult role in the in the tenor repertoire, sang it beautifully and actually with a beauty that one rarely hears in the role. It will be interesting to see how he develops in that role as he gains a little more um, uh, maturity as a as an artist um, that comes comes with age. Tristan is a very complex role psychologically. Um, 
And if you haven't had a chance to watch it, you have three more hours, so you won't be able to see the whole thing, but you can catch an act of it. I'd recommend skipping to at least the second act, um, and you can listen to our listening guide uh, before or after to, to find out what, what you missed. Tonight we start the ring cycle, and the ring cycle uh, is daunting for, for a new podcaster to talk about, but... But here goes. It is Wagner's uh, masterpiece, his Capolavoro, and uh, it's in four parts, four evenings of of operas. Um, the first is a prelude. It is a, a prologue to to the other three, um, and it is Das Rheingold, which means the um, the the gold of of the Rhine River. Um, tomorrow night's is the first opera of the real cycles, which is um, Die Valkyra, which is the, the Valkyries, um, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. The third part is Siegfried, which is the name of the hero of the, of the trilogy, and the final opera is Goethe Dämmerung, one of the greatest words in the German language, in any language maybe, which means the twilight of the gods. Uh, the piece is based on, loosely based on Norse mythology, along with some uh, mythology of the of the Germanic tribes, and the early the Goths and the early people of, of Germany. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of people try to interpret the piece, and, and maybe rightly so, interpret the piece as being about um, the the political and economic uh, revolution that was happening in Europe in the 19th century um, and how there was a sort of paradigm shift in people's consciousness. This may very well be true and Wagner was certainly interested in these things, but I think it's also a piece about spirituality and about man's relationship with the divine. Um, and I think we know this because when Wagner was searching for the subject for which he would would write what he believed was going to be his his masterpiece, his epic piece. He first thought he would write um, about the Buddha, an opera about the Buddha, which of, of course Germany of the, of the 19th century was fascinated with Eastern thought. Um, Siddhartha of Hesse, of course, uh, tells the story of the Buddha's life, but also even Franz Schubert wrote an opera on Shakuntala, the great uh, Indian play by Kalidasha. Uh, and there was a lot of interest on this. Uh, Shakuntala's first reference actually is from from um, Goethe. So, so this was much part of the German consciousness. Then Wagner thought instead he would write an opera on the life of Jesus Christ. Um, I think we can only imagine with great curiosity what that would have been and what Wagner's um, belief inside of a Christian Christian structure, a Christian paradigm would have would have been. But instead he turned to um, the German mythology and the Nordic mythology to give us the ring cycle, which um, I think it's most generally understood as being about man and God and man and capital and how those two uh, connect with each other. Um, tonight we start with Das Rheingold and it has a, a, a stunning opening, an opening that is that is absolutely unique and it is the sound of Wagner's conjuring with the orchestra, the sound of the Rhine River. It is um, several minutes of one tonality. It is just E flat major rising in the strings in a series of arpeggios and in the solo for the horn um, and finally the addition of other horns and we hear in it uh, the music of 
of a river rising from its bed from the beginning of time here. We are meant to believe. Um, it is um, Wagner's way of saying a long time ago in a galaxy far away. It is a music that we will hear now and we will not hear again for ooh, many, many, many hours and four days later and it will come again at the end of the opera as we make a full cycle. This idea of cycle, of circle, of rings is inherent to, to this, this piece, of course, to the ring cycle. Um, and we return from whence we came um, four days later and perhaps know the place for the first time in the words of T.S. Eliot. Um, at the end of that uh, uh, inter the prelude, um, we hear three voices. Uh, it's interesting, Wagner said he did not want the ring cycle. He, he did not believe opera at all actually should have ensembles or arias or recitative or, or numbers. Um, and it is true that he got rid of the whole concept of, 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 of numbers, of production numbers. Um, it should be said he wasn't the first to hold this belief. Of course, Gluck um, had the same approach many years earlier and before Gluck Rameau did the same thing. But Wagner uh, thought he was original and certainly took credit for the idea of, of doing away with, with numbers of arias and ensembles in opera. But the, the one exception is this beginning music is an ensemble for three sopranos. They are the Rhine maidens um, that, that protect the, the gold at the bottom of the river, the Rhine gold. Um, Interestingly enough, if you go back to the Alto Schenk, the famous Alto Schenk production of Das Rheingold from the the 1980s, I think, um, and this is you know with an amazing cast: Siegfried Jerusalem as Siegfried, um, Jesse Norman as uh, Sieglinda, Hildegard Behrens as an amazing Brunhilde. Um, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but in this production, as a one of these Rhine maidens was a very young Dawn Upshaw who went on to have. Um, an extraordinary career in a very different type of opera and I don't think many people would think that she started her career singing uh, one of the Rhine Megans singing Wagner at, at the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, now these ladies are sort of swimming around in the ocean and um, or in the river rather and uh, all of a sudden a, a gnome, a dwarf named Albrecht sees them and and uh, loves them and they make fun of him and they, he chases them around and then he sings the Rheingold and this is what he really wants. Um, and they mock him even further and tell him that nobody except he who dares to forswear love may uh, possess the, uh, the Rheingold. Well, they don't think that anyone is willing to make such a sacrifice, but Albert proves them wrong. He renounces love. He takes the gold from them. He steals it and he goes away. And these are three very unhappy ladies at the loss of the gold. That is the beginning of Das Rheingold. Then we go to a scene um, up on land where uh, two giants have been building a, a castle, a home for the gods. Um, the father of the gods, the leader of the gods, is Wotan. He runs around with a spear and has a, a patch over his eye, um, and he leads the gods and his wife. Now, these names are going to get confusing, so hang on, hang on, hang with me. Um, his wife is named Fricka. Um, they have commissioned a new hall for the goddess, a new home for the gods, named Valhalla. Which, which is uh, the, the hall where the heroes 
go to to die and also the home of the gods they commissioned two uh two giants who are named Fafner and oh goodness I've forgotten the other one's name but <laughs> two giants they've commissioned to build this uh this palace and in payment they are going to give um give to them one of their own a goddess named Freya she's the goddess of love and beauty and she's also the sister of Fricka, who is married to Votan, king of the gods. So she is the sister-in-law of the king of the gods. Um, but that didn't stop him from selling her to these two giants for uh, for a castle. The opera is going to get much sillier than this. Um, so so there you have it. Um, these uh, these giants are are want to be paid now, and all of a sudden Fricka is not happy that her sister is going to be um, given away to the giants, and she protests. And Votan tries to convince them um, not to take her. Now, uh, two of the other gods come out um, to help with this protestation, and they are uh, Froa and uh, Donner. Um, so Thor is, is donor. Um, uh, but these giants are not appeased and they demand Freya as their prize. Um, and then Loga comes. Now Loga is, the, is also a tenor and he is the god of um, mischief and fire. And he uh, tells them of this gold, of this ring that is made out of gold that is down in the land of the Nibelungs. The Nibelungen, so the actual title of the cycle is the Ring of the Nibelungs. The Nibelungs are a uh, people that live under the ground and mine, and they have been uh, taken hostage in a way by Alberic, who has the gold, and from the gold has made a ring, and with this ring he controls these people and makes them work for him, and um, these are sort of the proletariat if you take a economic view of what the ring is about. Um, and uh, they tell, Loga tells, tells the giants and, and all the gods about this, and the gods agree that if, if uh, Votan can go get the gold, they will accept that in payment instead of Freya. So, Votan and uh, Loga, they go down to the underworld, and uh, they see these Nibelungs who are, be, who are chained up and made to, made to um, uh, work for Alberecht, and Alberecht has made himself, besides a ring, he also has had a hat made, a helmet made, out of the gold, and this helmet uh, has the power to allow him to change into different beasts. Um, and Votan, led by Loga, uh, lay, out, uh, lay out a plan to trick him, so they, they, they t pretend that they don't believe in the power of the the, the helmet and they sort of trick him into showing how it can make make him into a giant beast um, and they say oh that's very impressive and then they say but can it also make you something very small so he says sure and he uses the helmet to turn himself into a frog and then they capture the frog in the bag and tie him up and then he becomes Albert again except he's all tied up and they say they won't let him go unless he gives them all of the gold including the helmet and including the ring so Albrecht has lost all of the Rheingold and most importantly the ring and the gods go back up to 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 dry land um, and offer it to the giants 
and they uh, stack all the gold up. The gold has to be as much as, as high as she is. And so that if they were to stack all the gold in front of Freya, they wouldn't be able to see her. And that's how they determine a, an amount of gold. So they stack it all up and uh, there's one chink missing and they can see through the chink her eye. And even though Votan doesn't want to give the ring to, to, uh, to them, the ring fits perfectly in the chink, and that's exactly the amount of gold they need. And um, the giants are happy with this. Uh, but we have a warning from Erda. Now, Erda is one of my favorite characters. Um, she is the uh, the mother of Earth. She's the goddess of the Earth. And she is sung by a contralto, and she has this one tiny section, and I think she appears again in the third or fourth part. Um, she rises up from the ground, and in a, in a soliloquy, she says to Photon, Beware, beware of this ring. It isn't worth it. Throw it away. Let it go. It will destroy you. It will destroy us. It will destroy me, the earth. It will destroy everything. But Votan won't listen. He is consumed with, um, uh, with greed for, for this ring um, and desire for this ring. Um, and almost as in an example of the power of the ring that everything Erda said was right, one of the giants kills his brother, the other giant, as they fight over the gold, and um, the gods are left to go into their new home, Valhalla. And the opera ends with, um, with the gods entering their new home. Uh, all of this is a prologue. Right, all of this is just in anticipation for the first opera in the cycle. Um, so this is zero. This is the prequel to uh, what will happen the next night, which is the Valkyries, which is the beginning of uh, the cycle, and we get not an entirely but a partially whole new set of characters. Some of the characters we've met in the in Das Rheingold will reappear again, um, but uh, but some will will not. Uh, now a few things to listen for. Like I said, the introduction to this opera is amazing. Um, there's a very famous production um, that I think you can find online. It is the Dutch National Opera production, um, directed by Pierre Aldi, uh, and with an amazing set by the Russian-American set designer George Siepen, who um, has created the sets for uh, Broadway shows like uh, The Ill-Fated Spider-Man, but also uh, The Little Mermaid. He's also created large sets for the Bergans Festival, for, for our own Francesca Zambello's production of West Side Story, which is a series of shooting skyscrapers out of the, the lake in, in, in Bergans in, in Switzerland. Um, and then most famously, he's collaborated a lot with Peter Sellers and um, Pierre Aldi at the, the Dutch National Opera. And for this production, he created a ring that comes out over the audience. The orchestra is on stage in the middle of this ring. This ring comes out into the audience. So for those of you who know a theater, this creates sort of a passerelle, which means you can come out in front of the orchestra and into the audience. Um, it's absolutely thrilling to hear a Wagnerian voice that close, producing that amount of sound. This production begins as the audience enters, there's a giant sheet of metal in front of the stage with, uh, with searchlights on it, with very powerful floodlights on it. So, so there's so much light reflected into the audience, you can't read your program, you can't see anything. And then all of a sudden, snap to black, you have sort of the image of that sheet metal burned into your retina, you can see nothing. It's 
totally you're totally blind um and all of a sudden there's a small speck of light in the distance that's moving and you hear gradually e flat major begin in complete darkness and the orchestra has has memorized the entire forspiel of the opera and slowly you regain your sight um again and you see um the dot which is the conductor's the, a light on the tip of the conductor's baton conducting it and that's how Pierre Alti begins his ring it's an amazing thing to to behold um obviously the music in the second part with the with the Nibelungs is is Wagner uses the um the sounds of metal just like Verdi did with the anvil Taurus and Travatore um that's something to listen to definitely listen for Erda's performance um at the end this long soliloquy um I I the Recording that that I uh, played earlier of that is our own Denise Graves performing in Minnesota Opera. So you want to listen for that section of music, and then of course the final music, uh, which you'll hear now, uh, and that is the music of the gods ascending into Valhalla, um, and and preparing the way for the the rest of the cycle. Of course, uh, Wagner composed with a series of light motifs, and what light motifs are are uh, musical. Uh, musical shapes, gestures that are connected to certain characters. So in the ring cycle, there is a theme for Siegfried. There is a theme for Wotan and his spear. There is a theme for the Rhine Maidens. There is a theme for the ring. There's a theme, there's a theme for everything. Um, and these get combined in various patterns throughout the four evenings. Um, there are resources. If you get, if you find that interesting, you want to get into them. Um, I will not give it a masterclass in the light motives of the ring cycle, but but just allow yourselves to to listen in a way that you catch melodic fragments and then you hear how they repeat. And you can start to understand the characters and who's singing and when they're singing and what's happening in them by understanding and recognizing the, the musical fragments. The version we'll see tonight uh, is, is the Met's most recent uh, production, a controversial production with uh, the, the designer and theater maker Robert Lepage, who's a, a Quebecois from Montreal, um, a theater maker. It was famously over budget, um, and I think in its first showing, not very popular. I think in in showing since, it has become quite um, quite beloved. Um, it has what was known as, a, I think, the machine. It is a um, a series of bars with a single point of, of, of weight giant on the stage that can be moved in different directions. So imagine the human skeleton or a DNA um, uh, uh, shape that can, can oscillate and can be projected upon. It weighed so much that they had to uh, reinforce the stage of the Metropolitan Opera to do it. Um, I actually have never seen this production, so I'm really thrilled to, to get a chance to see it. Uh, in this first, in Das Rheingold's, uh, uh, Bren Terfel will be taking the role of Wotan, which, which is hugely exciting. I believe Eric Owens is the Albrecht, but I'm not sh completely sure that I'm right about that. Um, later on, we'll hear voices like Stephanie Blythe as Fricka, uh, who's a, a tremendous mezzo-soprano and maybe the best American um, mezzo-soprano alive. I shouldn't say that. That's controversial. Uh, and um, who else is in this production? Um, well, it's it's a splendid cast, obviously, and the best orchestra in the world with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. Uh, I hope that that this gives you a intro, a introduction to 
to that opera will continue throughout the week with the ring and, and our experience will deepen together and um, well by Saturday morning we'll all be experts on Wagner's Ring Cycle. If you want if you want a more uh, entertaining breakdown of the ring, uh, you can find a, a very famous it was recorded in, in the seventies I believe, uh, uh, Anna now it's gonna go out of my head. Uh, uh, but she does, she's a pianist and performs very similar to uh, Victor Borga. Um, and there is a video recording of her last performance, which was actually done at the Baltimore Museum of Art. Um, and she, Anna Russell, and she does the entire ring cycle in something like eight minutes. It's hilarious, uh, it's funny, um, but it's also very educational. I'll make sure to put a link in the, as I post this on, on Facebook and on our blog. Uh, I hope you'll take advantage of that. And I will talk to you next time.